And welcome to the Etel Business Podcast. This is podcast number 61 for July 26, 2017. I'm one of your hosts, William Sellers. I'm Michael Faisley. Jaden Cavanaugh. And Eric Malatesta. And today we have another special guest, Mr. Barrett Williams. Hello, everyone. Say hello. Um, Barrett, tell us a little bit about what you do at the data center. Kind Who of are your responsibility. Who are you? What are your responsibilities? Kind of what... What you do? So I'm um, Barrett. I'm uh, currently director of delivery services here. Our teams are responsible for everything post-sales. So that's implementation of services, <clears throat> support after the sale. Um, also included in delivery services is our 24-7 network operations center, which we have one in Baton Rouge and one in Shreveport. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So for today, let's jump on in, in today's topic. Today's topic, we're going to talk about the anatomy of a data center, right? Um and we'll lead into something we'll, we'll we'll talk about later, which is our co-location 101 document that was written by Mr. John Nettles. Really good. We urge people to, to to download that from our website. But let's talk about data centers because a lot of times people will wonder whether we're talking about data center or co-location. There, there, there's some there's some pieces that maybe people don't either understand or know the impact or so know wait, how the so cost wait, analysis. A data center is not my uh, closet down the hall. Well, it can be. Huh. But we're looking at commercial data center, right? Something that we want to maybe keep our servers up, right? Down, you know, having it in the, having your, and I'm air quoting here, data center in like a server room in a building doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to suffer downtime, right? Power outages, uh, issues at the location, maybe flooding can can be a problem. So that's why people actually look for commercial data centers to. Uh, either purchase data center services from whether that's cloud or, or or private cloud or public cloud, but also look at just moving their gear to a data center, right? And something called what's called co-location. I'm putting my my servers, my infrastructure in your data center, right? And possibly getting network connectivity from you. Definitely get definitely getting environmental security that type of stuff to to your to your rack in most cases. So with that, let's get off. Let's go to uh, what um, kind of some of the components. Uh, the first one we'll talk about is rack space, right? Cages. Uh, Barrett, tell us a little bit about what we offer to our customers when it comes to racks and cages. Uh, so we have available full racks, so your kind of standard 42U height of racks. <clears throat> We've also got half racks and quarter racks, depending on how much physical space you need and depending on how much power you need. Uh, if you have multiple rack needs and additional security requirements on top of the ones that we provide, we can also get you in a cage, which would separate you from general population colo, so to speak. So basically the cage is, it's a caged off area in maybe like a corner of the data center that no other customer can get to. Not that not the racks are secure Correct. So anyway, but this is just another level of security that maybe even can keep keep us out or we have to have processes in to get into those caged areas exactly so generally speaking you're going to get a key for your cage or a key for your cabinet or both or both absolutely yeah okay in fact some of our racks uh don't they open through right. the cards so, so we are our... go ahead in our baton rouge <laughs> 2 facility we've actually got a uh it's a proximity readers on the individual cabinets and what that does is it, it allows your badge that you would normally access the data center with uh, two-factor authentication will then just open your cabinet. 
your cabinet. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So definitely racks are important. That's kind of where the customer first interfaces with the data center, you know, bringing, bringing gear in, setting it up, doing power and things like this. Um, speaking of power, um, talk, let's talk a little bit about, you know, definitely racks are important. We're going to get to HVAC and the rest of the, the, the components here shortly, but we look at electrical power. What do we provide to our customers? We have power, you know, starting from like maybe coming in off the street through the power grid on down to what's actually in the racks. So coming into the data center, we've got our feed from Entergy, and we're going to split that up into an A-side feed and a B-side feed. That energy utility power is always going to power our UPSs, and then the UPSs are always going to deliver power to the floor. So when you come and you buy a rack from us, we're going to give you an A-side power and a B-side power. Now, as I understand it, when we take that power and we deliver it to our UPSs, we're basically taking that power and we're cleaning it up. Correct. That's right. So no Correct. spikes. So no spikes, no dips, no brownouts. Uh, you're getting, uh, you're getting straight power from the UPS system from the batteries that we have. Right. So constantly. So a lot of times customers will ask, "Well, do I need a UPS in my rack?" And a lot of cases we tell them no. But when we talk about A and B side, we always tell our customers, "Please." Right. Most modern servers, most modern network infrastructure has a two power plugs, right? Correct. It's not just because they're there to plug them both in the same rack. You want to have some redundancy. So one power module will plug into A side, one to B. And if we had a problem or we're needing to do maintenance, right, Correct. we can shut down one side and your your server stay up. So one of the keys to the, the N plus one redundancy on or in our facilities is the concurrent maintainability, right? So uh, you're designing this infrastructure such that you know Eventually, at some point, a component is either going to break or at some point is going to need to be maintained. Mm -hmm. In order for us to do that, we've doubled up on everything, right? So you've doubled up on your power path. So I can take and do maintenance somewhere along the A-side power path, and I'm still delivering you your amperage or kilowatts that you've purchased from us on the B-side. Gotcha. So going from UPS... Right. We also are backing our, our UPS. I guess really uh, the way it logically runs is what? Street power. So you go street power. To the UPS. Technically it goes through the through the transfer switches. Right. Okay. So I've got, <clears throat> I have the utility power coming into the building ATS that hits the UPS, that hits the floor. If utility power drops, then my generators turn on. Those guys parallel together and begin feeding power, simulating utility power to the UPS. Gotcha. Right. right. So the, basically, the ATSs tell the uh, generator to kick on when they sense that the power has dropped from the grid. Cool. 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 So let's talk a little bit about our generators. We have gener So when we talk about our data centers, we have BTR1, which is on 7127 Florida. It's the, it's the, the older data center. And then we have our, our brand new data center, which is we call BTR2, which is across the hall. But it's different. It's, it definitely has a, a second set of generators. It's, it's got redundancy built into that that data center. Um, the data centers can run how long on a generator? If we have, I mean, I've been here through Katrina and Gustav, and those, we've had generators run for a while. So the the generators that we have, they all sit on their own fuel tanks, um, and we run them every Monday to ensure that they're operating correctly, that they're going to parallel together, that they're going to be able to provide power to the floor. Generally speaking, um, and these stats are valid for Shreveport and BTR2, 
um, the gens are going to fire in less than a minute and be providing that power to the data center floor. From a runtime perspective, we can continue to run them as long as we can continue to fuel the generators. So mm -hmm. in the event of an extended outage or uh, the risk of an extended outage, if we have a weather event in the Gulf or something like that, mm -hmm. we're going to we have fuel contracts with several vendors that will bring a fuel truck here, park it on site, and allow us to refuel as needed. Yeah, I remember when we were here, I think it was, was it, it wasn't Katrina, but it was Gustav. Gustav, yeah. Uh, trailer, big, you know, trailer would come back in, we'd hook up and we'd pull, power, mm -hmm. pull, pull fuel from it and refuel, and that kept us going for, for a while where the rest of the city was, was out, right? We were so, able to keep our service. So, Baron, I'll ask the question that all the listeners would be probably interested in hearing, which is, should those gins not power on in that minute? Should they not power on in the minute, we have uh, the UPS. So the UPS is going to hold the load for as long as it needs to and is able to. Um, the runtime on that is going to be variable, right? It's completely right. variable based on the load of the data center floor. So that's going to vary somewhere between uh, 10 to 30 minutes just depending on what that load is. Right. So but during we, that time, we have the ability to go out and at least fire up manually correct. one of those generators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we all we, we do now, and that's where the analysis comes in. We always know how long we can sustain power without being on without on generator. If we're running through the UPS, we know that we're good for X amount of time. Right. So the NOC is monitoring uh, that situation. So what they're going to see <clears throat> is they'll see. Uh, notifications from the ATS, the automatic transfer switch, that utility power has been lost. They're going to see the generators firing up, and they're going to see the load on the UPS. And there's processing procedures for if any of those events do not occur or are not occurring properly to notify and escalate to our facilities team, who can then step in. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so we talked a little bit about rack power, definitely A and B sides. Uh, a lot of customers will come in and they're like, well, my network switch or, or whatever device it is doesn't have two power supplies because maybe I have a smaller, maybe I have an appliance or something that's sure. not um, dual power capable, right? Um, that's where we come in and put something in called an ATS. Right. That's basically a, a very small scale version of the same gear that we have. So what it does is it takes two inputs, your input from A and input from B, and it's going to provide several outputs. Uh, it's a 1U form factor device, rack mountable, and it'll give you uh, real-time amperage readings. And it will automatically fail between A power source and B power source and provide consistent power to your single power device. Right. So ATS, meaning automatic transfer switch, you know, we, we put the we put the rack unit in the rack. In the rack, the the device has two powers. Uh, you plug a single power supply into the rack, but into the unit into the ATS. But it's running at such a speed where if we did have a power outage or something like this on one side, Correct. it can automatically switch without causing any issues to right. It it switches between power sources in milliseconds. Right, and then moving on into that, we have obviously PDUs power distribution units, right, that are run along each side of the rack. That's where we plug basically that's our, our you know, super-duper power strips that are on each side of the rack that people plug their gear into. Right. And I, I mean, I think that's something that, you know, we should talk about. I think people forget sometimes when you have a APDU and a BPDU, you have your server and it's plugged into both sides. But actually, in reality, your server is actually pulling a little bit of power from both sides. So, you know, we see people running up their 30-amp 
uh, circuit to 28, 29 amps, you know, and then what happens is one side breaks, goes down, maintenance, whatever, and then their A side can't handle the full load. And they say, well, hey, I was only running 28 amps. And we say, yeah, but you were running 28 amps across both circuits. You exceeded the 30 amps total. Mm -hmm. So it's a big, it's it's kind of a learning thing when you talk to people because your servers do kind of power balance themselves. Usually the hardest time is when they're all powering on the first time. That's right. So we make sure that we make the the initial draw. So we make sure that all of the, the power is sufficiently can be can be can be sustained when all the gear is coming back up. Yeah, and I think I think us like many other people say, hey, you only want to be running at seventy five percent of your full load. Right. Talking about power, um, what do we actually offer? So we offer one ten, right, so out it, to the rack. Correct. You can get uh, either one ten voltage, two eight voltage, uh, or two eight three phase voltage in variance. So you can have your twenty amp circuit, your thirty amp circuit, uh, on up to. 60 amps, uh, depending on the amount of compute power that you're going to be running in your cabinet. This would be a perfect place to be able to charge our Teslas when we start getting them, right? Uh, sure. Plug into uh, the rack, get a quick charge. You, your house may be cheaper. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Maybe, but anyway. So definitely I think we have enough power, enough types of power to, to properly Really, anyone, any any need that someone comes with, we can provide. And right. right. And really, other than the power grid itself, everything's redundant once you hit our building. Right. So right. it can't control multiple power grids. We don't have that in the area. Correct. Correct. Um, so we got we you know we have rack space, we have power. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the environmental right HVAC, uh, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Right. Um, because. You know, especially when we, when especially me being in pre-sales, I'll go visit a customer site and they, they show me their data center and I walk in, I'm like, Ooh, this is hot in here. Or it's, there's a fan blowing or like maybe a wall unit AC providing cooling. Um, we definitely take that to the, to the nth degree, right? We have, um, a dedicated heating and ventilation system that monitors not only temperature, but humidity, uh, even down to particulates in the air, right? Correct. So that's one of the key distinctions between having a data closet and being in a data center. Mm-hmm. So the, the environmentals are very tightly controlled. So to Eric's point, we've got redundancy there. We've got multiple chiller loops. We've got multiple air handlers that are allowed <clears throat> or that allow us to perform maintenance or sustain a, a fault. And the, the amount of cooling that we can deliver to the space is sufficient to overcome those larger hotter workloads. If you want to stack four UCS chassis on top of each other, go ahead and do it. We'll be able to cool it down and continually cool it down. Right. We have these, uh, I think we call them eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's <laughs> the, the old environment. That's but, the old environment. The, the, that basically, there's, there's, there's sensors throughout the data center where we know where hot spots are, we know where cold spots are, and we have blowers that blow into certain areas. This is our legacy data center. That's yeah, right. right. In the new data center, can you tell me a little bit about how that's different between what we had in our, our, our leg- not I shouldn't say legacy data center, but our initial data center and how heating and cooling is done in our in our new data center because they're, they're slightly different. They are slightly different. So in the, in the Shreveport and BTR2 facilities, <clears throat> uh, the building manages itself. At some level, right? So we've we've kind of developed this pod architecture. So we have a hot island encapsulation built from 32 cabinets, 
And what that allows us to do is face all of the exhaust to the back, exhaust that up into the plenum, and then focus all of our cooling efforts towards the front of the racks. Above the hot aisle, we have temperature sensing equipment that will dynamically change the amount of airflow that's being delivered to the front of those racks depending on the heat load. Um, so you're so you're saying as the uh, sensors have, are noticing that they're rising in temperature, they're going to dump more cold air in the front. That's absolutely right. Right. So it, it kind of works just like your house. Um, you know, there's except there's way more thermostats, uh, and, <laughs> and it can deliver different temperatures to different locations or basically different air amount of air. Correct. Correct. So we generally speaking, we're we're going to use a set point for the floor at large, and then the building is going to dynamically make changes to the amount of air that's being delivered. That's very interesting. It's the best place to be in the summertime because it's, oh, it's you can great. walk in a data it's center fantastic. and it's like, actually what's funny is a lot of times I'll, you know, coworkers of mine were like, I'm going out to the data center, need my jacket. So it's the only place in the South where I've had people bring jackets to work in the middle of the day during the middle of the summer. Yes, often I'll be caught walking out of the building for lunch still wearing my jacket. It's <laughs> and you too. look weird. <laughs> People are like, what's wrong with this guy? He's like, oh, data center employee. And if you do forget your jacket, you can you can always walk into the hot aisle to thaw out. And then, <laughs> That's true. You know, yeah. walk That's back true. In. If, if you need a warm-up, we can do that. If you need to cool down, we can do that. Fantastic. But the servers are always cold, the right? The servers, servers are always cold. So rack space, HVAC, electrical power, you know, we talked about that. Let's talk about, because um, those are the really major three physical components that we, we offer when we talk about co-location data center servers. These are the kind of the, the physical things that we provide to customers. Let's talk about a little bit more on the, the security bandwidth and, and, and technical support, right? Because there's the data center consumables that we have in, in the facilities and this, this, but that's not the complete picture, right? That doesn't, that doesn't answer the whole equation. Um, and part of a data center, when we talk about, you know, what people need, it's definitely security, right? Uh, having your data center on, you know, maybe a, in your office or behind maybe, a, you know, I've seen where there's these little doors or you, know, you can push, push hard enough and they'll pop into the data center, right? They may be locked but not necessarily secure. Um, let's talk a little bit about our physical security of the data center. Sure. So, <clears throat> To your point about physical security, um, that's one of the things that we take very seriously here. So, you know, you heard me mention previously about dual-factor authentication. So everyone that comes into the, this facility, whether that is a visitor, uh, whether that's a, a vendor or contractor doing work for us or for a co-location client. Or even us employees. Us employees, correct. They're going to be issued uh, a badge. And then in order to move through the facility, they're going to have to use that badge and then uh, either biometric on their hand or uh, biometric on their, their iris, as we do mm -hmm. in Shreveport. So um, additionally, on top of that, obviously, we have people here 24-7, right? So I have, I have security and network operations center staff uh, at all locations 24-7 so that you can come here uh, and, and check in. We validate your identity, and then we guarantee you access to your cabinet or cage. And that's assuming that actually within our system, that particular person has been granted access to their rack. So it could be the CEO walking in saying, I need to get to my server, and, and they're not on the approved list. Our security guys would tell them, sorry, I can't let you in. Can't get that's, in. That's absolutely right. And, and it even goes to a, a granularity of you can or cannot remove or add equipment as right. well. So you can come, you can do work. However, we're not going to allow you to add any equipment to the rack or remove any equipment from the rack. Yep. 
With, well, without without letting us know. Without prior authorization. Right. right, you have to have authorization. This is all done through support requests, audits, so Correct. we know what's going on, who's doing what, and we can prevent um, things that aren't supposed to be done in the data center. And then, look, you combine that with the fact that we got um, cameras throughout the entire data center. We can see every row. We can see every back and front of the servers. Uh, we can see the tops of the buildings, every door, um, every entry, ex- exit. Um, we also have the man traps. Going, right. yep. going into and out of the data center. Let's explain what a man trap is because a lot of times people are like, what the hell is a man trap? Um, so a man trap is basically where we have maybe three doors, mm-hmm. but only one door can be open at a time. Right. It's, it's really any any physical location with X number of doors. And like you said, only one of those doors can be open at any given right. time. Basically, and, the intent is, is so somebody cannot hold a door open for someone else to go run through it. Correct. And basically, the, the security guy, the security attendant who's, who's working in the, in the kind of our booth, mm-hmm. is able to see who's coming in. Uh, there's no, no tailgating. And also, if a person's like maybe accidentally thinking they can take a piece of equipment out, maybe they're taking their server out but not authorized, uh, they can't leave. They can't open both doors, right? They can't get out without right. someone noticing what's yeah. going on. Right, exactly. And, those, and I think in, in, in our BTR-1 facility is even surrounded by bull, bulletproof glass. So you couldn't shoot your way through. Yeah, bulletproof yeah. glass. I think there's actually uh, in the wall, in the drywall, there's like sand. That's correct. Yeah, it's small. Or lead shot or something. that rocks. <laughs> small def- rocks. Deflect the bullets. Uh, we've never had anything like that go on, but it's always nice to have. Very reassuring. Very reassuring that we have we have that safety. So we talked about security. Now let's talk about, you know, all these things are good, but we have to actually have to have people who are monitoring these, these, these data center services, right? Heating, cooling, power, security. So we have what's called our Network Operations Center, or NOC. Uh, it's manned 24-7. And they not only do they monitor for the, the environmentals, uh, security, um, you know, fire suppression, all this, but they're also monitoring from a network perspective, and we'll get to networking in a second, Faisley. Um, monitoring kind of what's going on with our services, what's going on with our, our Internet feeds. Uh, we also monitor customer servers, right? So if a customer's like, hey, I'm putting my stuff in Colo, but I want to purchase monitoring from you guys. We can monitor what's going on in the machine um, down from Internet connectivity all the way down to services. Sure, that's absolutely right. So our, our network operations center engineers, those guys are there 24-7. And what they're looking at is everything from our critical infrastructure, HVAC, UPS gens, to our critical platforms, cloud platforms, backup platforms, um, et cetera, as well as any platforms that you are engaging with us to have monitor. So that's uh, everything from up, down on a website, uh, all the way down to SQL query times. And then we can take that alert and react to it however you'd like. So we can... If you're a managed services customer, we can begin remediation. Uh, if you want a phone call, an email, text message, however you'd like to be notified. Mm-hmm. And that goes down where if I'm in co-location. You know, we're talking about co-location data center, but that really also goes into even if you're in our managed or public cloud, sure, right? Cloud. We can monitor. Um, you know, we, we definitely monitor all of our services, our storage, networking, uh, compute. But if a customer has something that they want to specifically monitor, either if it's in their rack or in their virtual computer in cloud, we can monitor those, sure. those devices. Even off-site. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. So security, physical, 
you know, infrastructure. Uh, let's talk about bandwidth, right? Because we can't put our gear in a data center and it not be connected to the internet, right? Well, yeah, we want we want to think that our gear is sitting next to us in the office space, basically, right? Yeah, but it's That's not. It's connected to the internet, right? So, Mike, um, Michael, let's talk a little bit about what you know. What are what are the you know from diverse paths? How does our internet get to customers? Yeah, so we have the ability to provide internet to um, internet bandwidth to customers in multiple ways. We can provide our own internet bandwidth, which, as you touched on, is is um, uh, has diverse paths. Um, we have separate border routers down to separate cores. Um, upstream of the border routers, we have, uh, like you said, different internet paths, diverse in a physical path sense mm-hmm. and uh, um device path sense. Uh, so if a device were to go down or a path were to go down, we're still up. And that covers our bandwidth. Uh, customers also have the ability to um, get bandwidth from different providers that are built into our DMARCs. Uh, we, we haven't really touched on that yet, but I, I guess this is a good time to touch Absolutely. on that. Um, we have DMARCs built into each data center, uh, mm-hmm. Shreveport, BTR1, BTR2. And uh, providers are built into each one of those. Uh, so if a customer, for some reason, needs a connection to uh, CenturyLink, you know, uh, Hunt Telecom, in, in any of the providers out there, mm-hmm. we can uh, provide that for them. Uh, all, all that they need to do is fill out a uh, cross-connect form, and whatever type of um, media they need, copper, fiber, multi-mode, single-mode fiber, mm-hmm. Uh, whatever they need, we can get that connected for them. Down in through our DMARC all the way down to the customer's rack. And then Correct. in the rack, they can have their own routers, yeah. firewalls, network gear. Yeah. So so like um, Barrett touched on earlier, talking about security, the vendors will come. Um, they'll go into the DMARC, provision their side, cross-connect form will come into us, and then we'll take the connection from the customer rack to that newly provisioned uh, spot in the DMARC. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And also, if we're talking about bandwidth that we're giving to customers, we typically have large internet pipes. There's never a problem where someone says, oh, I need more bandwidth, right? Uh, Correct. So uh, we just recently put in uh, new internet borders. Uh, Each of those has 10 gigs upstream um, into ETEL, which our service provider, and then upstream from that, multiple 10 gig connections very cool. so yes very large pipes so we have networking we have the rack space we're basically you know talking about the major parts of a data center the one thing that really kind of glues all this together right is our technical staff you know we definitely talked about the physicality of the data center security uh monitoring and this but a lot of times customers will come to us even if they're doing colo and are like hey i have a problem with my server my SQL database, whatever. You know, I don't have the technical staff to, to fix this. And they'll reach out to us for assistance, right? And whether it's a, a one-time thing or a customer is purchasing blocks of hours that we can provide support to, um, it's really nice to have the technical staff who is familiar with things like VMware, Microsoft products. I mean, even some of the simple things, you know, hey, Linux. I have a disk that failed. Can you go swap a disk out? I don't need to run to the data center to swap a disk out. You know, I think that those kind of simple technical skills, you know, hey, I need you to pull out a, a motherboard and put a new motherboard in, that the kind of things can be done quickly 
instead of having to drive into the data center. Yeah, sometimes it's right. just a matter of convenience, you know. Right. It's a lot easier to give us a call and have us <clears throat> input a new disk, maybe receipt a blade server or something yeah. like that, something very simple, or simply just console to the server and tell me what you see on the screen right. because yeah. I can't get to it. Also working with maybe a hardware vendor who comes in, maybe a right. customer has a support contract with Unisys or another uh, hardware vendor, we will escort that vendor to the rack uh, and assist where needed, right? Sure. Uh, even down to doing things like, I don't know how much tape we deal with these days, but some still, customers have tape. Tape rotation. So yes. we have customers that do tape rotation. So really, no matter if it's, hey, I need to see what's on the screen of my, my crash server. Can you help me fix it? Uh, to rotating tapes, we to can definitely do that. Help. DFS is not working. That's correct. Huh. Yeah, even more complex, uh, complex technical technical issues. Yeah, we, I mean we, we have, have people on staff. We have teams that do like like you were saying a minute ago. Will we have ESX support, Hyper-V support, Active Directory Exchange, Microsoft Citrix, SQL, yeah, whatever, uh, Linux, Solaris. Yeah, we got one Solaris guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's also kind of another layer of security that we have, where when customers put in support cases, that that's what triggers us to go do work. It's not some sure. some random you person make, can call in and say, "Hey, I, I need you to go." Yeah, read you this make a good. No idea who we, it is. You make a good point. Yeah, uh, if a customer does have a problem, right? It's not just, "Hey, it's three in the morning and I'm calling in. I need a server rebooted." Right? Mm -hmm. We're not just going to go to the server reboot server, right? Because yeah. there's some authentication and some checks and double checks that we do. Correct. Before we go, actually touch a comp uh, a customer's hardware, right? And we make, and typically we do this through online support requests. Yeah, generally speaking, any type of change or support request has to come through the support portal. Uh, and what that allows us to do is validate the identity of the person who did it, and it creates an audit log for that request. Right, exactly, exactly. So for us to become compliant and the different levels of compliance that are out in the industry, we have to do these internal checks right, and balances. Um. So moving into, you know, I think I think we've we've discussed a lot of the data center features, kind of why people, you know, what are the things that that, that customers get when they move to a commercial data center. Um, we recently wrote, actually, John Nettles, who works in our marketing team, recently wrote a really really good um, uh, a white paper or ebook about everything to know, you need to know about co-location, and. Uh, a lot of times customers will, will think about, or, or, or IT management will, will be like, what do I need to consider? You know, what are the point, the key points? Should I should I build a new data center or should I upgrade my existing data center or go right. into a... How, how much is this thing costing me? And, and that's the thing. You really have to look at, you have to look at the cost savings. You know, it will cost you, right? Mm -hmm. But what are the benefits and what are the costs if I did go down to my company, right? So, you know, we, we urge our customers to go, or really anyone, to go download that white paper, which is extremely good. It's got actually um, the six key points to cost analysis before considering moving into a data center, but also formulas for calculating power consumption. There's a checklist that, you know, to kind of help you self-check if you're really a candidate for a data center. Yeah, it links to some online calculators that can help with that situation as well. Right. Um, some of the things that customers really need to consider is, you know, and we'll go through this in a list, is downtime, right? What does it really cost your business when you have an outage, right? 
um, how much money are you losing? You know, you're not able to to fulfill transactions. Maybe you're a bank and you can't, you know, deposit checks or whatever. Or even like a, a healthcare, right? And you you can't op, you can't work on patients if I don't have connectivity to my to my uh, my systems, right? And that downtime can come in multiple ways, like bandwidth, power. You know, that's it. Yeah. Correct. So definitely understanding the impact of downtime to, our, to your organization is, is critical. The other is, is in most cases these days, com- more and more companies are having to deal with auditing and compliance. Yeah, and we didn't even bring that up earlier. No. But, you know, internally we do a lot of compliance ourselves, right? So we, we score ourselves against a lot of the standards out there to make sure that our data center is following the standards and that we can prov- we can prove to you and to anyone that is doing business with you that we follow those same standards. Mm-hmm. I think that's really big because to go and hire a compliance team yourself, it, it can be quite expensive, right? right. <clears throat> yeah, so, most, most people aren't going to be able to check that compliance box running out of their comm closet. No, surely not completely because they're, they're going to have a hard time you know, showing that they have the good security. They're going to have a hard time showing they have the redundant in the systems. <clears throat> so... The other side of it is, uh, and this is one of the things we talk about with a lot of our clients, which is, you know, there's a lot of other compliances that are uh, more legal based, and those are things that we still encourage our clients to continue to look at. Right, HIPAA is the major one, right? Um, however, we do our own HIPAA compliances, and that in and of itself won't make you compliant, but it is a piece of your pro- of, your, of your puzzle. Right. Right. Um, and then just utilities cost, right? How how much does it cost to keep my data center, you know, my my, my server room closet cold, um, you know, power to that? Uh, it, it does get quite expensive. I was actually at a customer site where they were getting ready to redo um, their their heating and cooling in their server room, and it was like we didn't realize it would be this expensive. Yeah, I mean, Barrett just told you about like eighteen different devices that he has. <laughs> Well, it, it, it's not just about how much is energy charging me every month. It's about how much is it costing me to cool this, and also how efficiently am I able to cool mm-hmm. it? Because that's a, a pretty yeah. What do, what does it cost to buy that new HVAC? Right, and maintain and it. And maintaining, yeah. And what yeah. happens when it breaks? Do In you the have UPS, two of them? that's like uh, UPSs are not cheap. If you have an HVAC, a lot of times when I go to customer sites, it's just I'm just. I have a vent in the server right. room. You, you have a vent. Maybe, maybe your facilities team got creative and got you two vents, but it's still just one system. Right. And the thing, the thing that people don't understand is, you know, and, and sometimes you don't really realize this until you lose power in a small server room closet. Well, I'm sure. Let me back up. You lose HVAC. You lose air conditioning in a small server room closet. That infrastructure heats up extremely fast. Yeah. So when we talk about, oh, I lose air conditioning, it's not like, oh, I can lose air conditioning for an hour or two. Mm. You know, it'd be fine. No, when those You'll have when, problems in less than thirty minutes. In yeah, those cases. less than thirty minutes, those servers will heat up and either malfunction shut or shut down. Right? And usually, they'll shut down because they have internal mechanisms to keep them from overheating. But um, you drop air conditioning for a few minutes, and you're in trouble. Right? Absolutely. Um, space. You know, just basically, just floor space is expensive. Right? If you're trying to build your own data center or your own dedicated server room, just the, the floor place alone, because you do have to take into account utilities costs, you know, everything into that. Yeah, what You just took somebody's office away to build yourself a little 
uh, server room. Right. And is that is that, you know, how can I better? Use? Yeah. Is that the best use of that space? Right. And that's why people look to data centers is I have a dedicated space for that. And it's it's heated. It, it's purpose built to manage my servers. Sure. You know, that's why so many people are looking at data centers or even just public cloud. Right. Maybe they want to take that a step further and don't actually want to have physical gear in a data center. Mm -hmm. We can offer them public cloud. And regarding space, it's it's something that John touches on in the white paper. There's there's actually a little image of it. It shows uh, a multi, you know, kind of tenant where mm -hmm. people have a data center, but then there's the break room up above the data center and, you know, the point. sink <laughs> overflows and the water goes through and Whoops. it's on your rack. Yeah. Or a busted pipe or, you know, That's something like that. Roof leak, yeah. squirrels. Squirrels. Yeah. It's real. Always yeah. seem to worry about. And then lastly, you know, infrastructure maintenance and management, right? Um, even if you have a good HVAC and cooling system in your in your in your server room or, or local data center, right? Uh, you still have to maintain that. You have to do support contracts. You have to do care and feeding of your HVAC. It's not something you just go purchase and go, okay, I got it. I'm good. The cost in maintaining that gear can quite can be quite high, right? Absolutely. I mean, so, you, you have to you have to maintain the gear to prevent any type of issues in the future with regard to to you know overuse or just these things out in the elements. Yeah. And, and there's a cost there. Kind of like having a car, right? You know, you, right. you don't just have a car and use it. You have to maintain it. Otherwise, look at warranty. The tires, rotate the tires, uh, put new oil in, change the filters. So it'd be like, you know, instead of owning your own car, do Uber a Lyft. Yeah. So similar similar type of thinking, right? We have that. A little that, bit more long-term. Yeah. It's a little bit long-term, but, yeah, we have that ability to where you're not paying, you're not investing in that for the long term. So definitely uh, read the white paper. It can be found at www.etailbusiness.com. You do have to sign up for it, but you'll be able to download it and then read it on, uh, I think it's in PDF format, but you can put it on your iPad, your phone, um, and consume that, that good content. Anything else we want to talk about before? Did we miss anything in terms of kind of overview of data center? I think, I think well, we touched think on so. all the major I mean, parts. We hit the high points. Yeah. So that'll wrap it up for today's podcast. Uh, again, uh, check us out on the Apple iTunes Store. We're also, we're also on Stitcher Radio. Uh, find us on Facebook as Etel Business or on Twitter as at Etel Business. And then um, we will see you guys on the next the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you.